today on Ag News Daily. I think it is kind of, it has you scratching your head in the sense that the risk premium itself, you know, should be put into December just simply to entice the grower to, to plant more. Happy Monday, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell joined by Tanner Winterhoff, brought to you today by Kubota. Together, we do more. And Tanner, I tell you what, it was a cold Easter weekend here in central Iowa, to say the least. Yeah, there was no shortage of social media content of everybody taking videos of the snow falling out their window as Easter eggs were in the front yard. Yes. Um, Not great content, but content none the least. Yes. And you know what? We actually didn't really get any snow here at our place, but it was certainly chilly. Absolutely. Chilly is uh, probably not the best transition word, but (laughs) it is interesting to see as Biden released on Friday. Remember, we had reported on that infrastructure bill that he really wanted to put some money back into the rural infrastructure. We were talking about trillions of dollars. Uh, He's now put a bill into place that the steel for this project needs to be U.S. sourced. However, there comes right followed with a rider that gives companies the opportunity to request a waiver if U.S. steel manufacturing capacities can't handle the increased business. So nice to see as part of that infrastructure bill that we will be sourcing our goods from the United States. Um, but also coupled very politically with the ability to source from outside uh, if supplies are not deemed adequate. Well, Tanner, switching tracks here a little bit, I wanted to mention, you know, a couple of different geopolitical things playing out here. And we're going to talk to Angie about some of the Russia-Ukraine stuff going on. But another interesting one, because China's economy aligns so closely to a lot of other world economies, including Russia, is their GDP, their growth here year over year, slowed down pretty significantly in 2021 and just grew about 4.8% year on year in the first quarter of this year, according to official government data that was recently released. Although they're also indicating now that March showed some significant red flags for future growth. And typically China's somewhere not quite double digit growth year over year, but certainly have seen some six, seven, eight percent growth year over year. And they are really starting to slow down. In March, retail sales fell about three and a half percent. And that is the worst year in quite some time. And this is largely coming as COVID is continuing to shut down the Chinese economy, Tanner, which puts a lot of other things, domino effects in motion with buying you know, goods from other countries, et cetera. And it also calls into question, I think, in my mind, you know, maybe not so much China, but this ongoing discussion of a global food disaster. If you have less money that's floating into your economy because you've shut down, you have less purchasing power to be able to feed your people. Yeah, that certainly presents a scary outlook, uh, especially when potential words like famine get thrown around because we can't supply our nation with the imported goods that we need if we can't produce them ourselves. Um, I know that was a concern about the financial status in Sri Lanka that we reported on two weeks ago, um, not being able to keep their people fed. So yeah, that will definitely be something to keep an eye on uh, as things continue to progress. It certainly will. And that's a lot of discussions are happening around this idea of food security, because, you know, if Ukraine has any sort of 
any shortage of food supplies, if we have any sort of a weather issue here in the United States, and then of course the dry weather we're continuing to see in South America, all of those things stacked together do paint a picture for some potential famine worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going back to the White House, Delaney, with more news from the Biden administration. Uh, We have released 144,000 acres of government land to be available for bid for drilling of oil and natural gas. So these leases will be up for bid on federal lands. This is 80% less than we were expecting or initially being evaluated uh, for potential leasing. But we have cut loose, like I said, 144,000 acres of lands to basically help try to curb the price of gas at the pump. Um, Obviously, a lot of other things, but that's the main political front for that. It's quite interesting, Delaney, to see uh, this come about as the Biden administration tries to curb these fuel prices, because as he took office, uh, he wanted a moratorium on drilling for oil and gas on federal land. So um, a small cost of carbon, as the article says, to gain access to 144,000 acres. I don't have those uh, exactly mapped out for me, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if our government releases more acres in the future to continue to battle these price hikes. It certainly will, Tanner. And that's an interesting way to curb price hikes. But Tanner, before I get to my next piece of news here, I wanted to remind folks we are sponsored today by Kubota Tractors and Farming Demands Well-Built Equipment. Kubota equipment that's built right, built ready and proven for over a century. Tractors that are adaptable and versatile. Hay tools backed by a two-year warranty, sidekick utility vehicles where durability meets speed, and productive SSV skid steers. That's farm work to do. Kubota equipment is ready to get it done right. Learn more at KubotaUSA.com. Tanner, as I turn our attention to some South American news today, we're going to be chatting about a lot of different factors that are impacting commodity markets here with Angie Setzer coming right up in a little bit, but had a couple of two pieces here of quick Argentinian news, and that's watching the continued dry weather that we're having down there. But I also wanted to mention, you know, that ongoing trucker strike that we've seen in Argentina, Tanner, that I think you originally reported on last week. I saw this on Twitter and I haven't been able to verify it yet. So let's take it with a grain of salt. But the Argentine Grains Transport Federation lockout has been officially lifted and a freight rate, that's a mouthful, a freight rate hike of 20% was agreed upon and normal supply of diesel oil guaranteed by the government, which is a pretty substantial increase then in potential costs if it were adding on a 20% rate hike and also playing for the normal supply of diesel fuel now yeah it's hard to argue with the direction that they are going Uh, but yes again i know we've said this before just there's so many factors and i'm excited to talk to angie to see how much each of these little pieces are going to snowball into having a really big effect And they certainly could, because the other component of that is just the continued dry weather that we're seeing down there in Brazil and Argentina, Tanner. For the week ending April 16th, it trended wetter for the uh, first part of the week, but overall, the month of April all in all is has been largely hot and dry. 
Um, according to data from Weather Trends 360, this week was the fourth driest week, or excuse me, fourth driest second week of April in more than 30 years. And they are expecting to get continued dry weather in major safrina corn crop areas in Brazil, major soybean areas in Argentina. And all in all, not expecting to get really any sort of relief, reprieve from any sort of rain. So again, don't I, I hate putting too much positive spin on stuff because I think we still have to be realistic. <laughs> but it's just hard to argue. You know, we saw eight dollar corn today in the July contract. It's hard to argue. How are we not going to new record highs for this year's new corn and soybean crop with all those factors? Just call your banker. We will uh, definitely <laughs> give you a pessimistic view or at least try to put some perspective on things. But I agree. It, it certainly seems like all signs are pointing to up until we really start to get some good planting progress here uh, in the Corn Belt. Well, the last stop that I have on our news journey today, Delaney, is in China. China has posted its highest quarterly pork production in more than three years in that first quarter, January through March. They're Produce, they produced 15.6 million tons of pork in the first three months. That's up 14% from a year. The data comes from our National Bureau of Statistics, points that this is directly tied to the first quarter of their sow head growing in 2021, which you know obviously aligns with getting some piglets on the ground uh, and things are put together. But if you look at the the period ending Q2 of 2021, their sow herd reached 45.64 million head, uh, which is one of the largest in their cycle. So uh, hogs are back. You know, we continue to battle disease and they continue to battle COVID and getting labor to the places where it's needed. Um, but that also kind of leads to the demand side of things now as their pork industry continues to push its volumes higher, which again, obviously is, is trying to meet that need and demand for protein. Absolutely. And you know, with the, the the flip side of that is that's great. It's happening right now, but if they do continue to remain shut down, you know, that means less purchases, less celebrations. A lot of Chinese holidays are built around consuming pork. So it could just mean all in all the demand for that protein goes down, which would mean of course, less feed demand and all of that stuff coming out of the United States. So speaking of less food feed demand, Tanner, my final story here is just a quick update on avian influenza because we've seen three additional states as of this morning now report and confirm the highly highly pathogenic avian influenza in Pennsylvania, Idaho, and Utah. Total domestic flock loss is now just shy of 30 million birds at 27 and a half million and 29 states have confirmed bird flu in their neck of the woods. So certainly continuing to watch the toll climb their tanner. Yeah, that's not good news. Uh, way to leave us on a positive oh, note. Sorry. But I can tell you one thing that will cheer people up is our conversation with Angie. So how about we jump into that next? Let's do it, Tanner. But before we get to that here, I wanted to remind folks that farming demands well-built equipment, Kubota equipment that's built right, built ready, and proven for over a century. Tractors that are adaptable and versatile, hay tools backed by a two-year warranty, sidekick utility vehicles where durability meets speed, and productive SSV skid skiers. That's farm work to do. Kubota equipment is ready to get it done right, Learn more at KubotaUSA.com. And Tanner, before we kick it over to our conversation with Angie, I was just going to do a quick overview here. I won't dive into all the 
all the different commodity contract months today, but we had fresh contract highs in multiple markets today on the grain side of things. Touched $8 for the first time in years, in almost 10 years in the July corn contract. Fresh contract highs in a few wheat complexes as well. And on the livestock side of things, mostly mixed trade with Live cattle and feeder cattle down hard today, lean hogs up. So Tanner, with that background, let's go ahead and kick it over to our conversation with Angie Setzer. Chatting with Angie Setzer at Goddess of Grain, the co-founder and partner at Consys. Angie, it's been a little while since we had you on. We are certainly excited to chat markets with you today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. Absolutely. And we are uh, getting into planting season finally, although, you know, with this cold, snowy, wet weather that a lot of folks had this past weekend that might push a couple people out of the field for a little while. But Angie, today we hit $8 corn. This is, when's the last time we even hit this? 2012, 13? Uh, yeah, I, the last time I think I was able to pay $8 corn would have been late in the uh, summer of 12. So I think um, what they say, July corn's highest close. I was trying to find that again so I could be like, Fun fact, but we're basically about a dime away from um, what was the highest close on on July corn, um, and that was set, you know, early August or, or mid August 2012. So yeah, we're definitely um, in rare air, and you know, based on the calendar and, and based on uh, the bulk of the forecast at this point in time, I think our air gets a bit rarer um, before we go back to to Earth. So is that what is driving this excitement? Is it purely weather driven or are there other factors oh yeah there's a slew of other factors i think weather is playing a role of course we've got a bit of that dryness there that's starting to pop up in uh central brazil a lot of folks are trying to put their finger on what that will mean um for the second crop corn that we're seeing come out of there so i think you're seeing some risk premium um attached to that market part of the reason that you've seen the old crop new crop spread really kind of bottom out um last week and and start to firm back up where you're getting old crop uh you know specifically the may and the july boards trading um much stronger than than your new crop boards um you know so there's a a little bit of that there obviously over the weekend uh, we saw russia you know kind of really pressure ukraine to to give up that eastern region and and um work to negotiate peace in their words not necessarily mine and ukraine was like no thank you um, so that, you know, looks as though it will continue on indefinitely. And, and the reality is at this point, there's absolutely nothing the Fed is going to do over the next three to four to six weeks and beyond um, that's going to stop inflation in its tracks. So that trade kind of is continuing. So we have this continuation of the perfect storm of money flow coming into to commodities, um, weather concerns, production concerns, you know, no room for error there. Um, you know, combined with everything that's taking place in the Black Sea. And and so we just continue to, to roll. And Angie, I'm curious, when you look at the difference between, you know, the July and the Dece right now, it's about a little over 50 cents, 57, mm-hmm. 58, something like that. Why are we still seeing that much premium being built into the July month right now when we have an entire growing season ahead of us that may or may not be weather inclined, you know, one way or the other? Yeah, yeah, it is kind of, it has you scratching your head in the sense that the risk premium 
itself, you know, should be put into the December just simply to entice the grower to to plant more. But um, you know, at the the current with the current structure or the current way that the market is set up, you know, there's a couple different reasons. For one, money flow tends to flow into the month that has the most um, volume and the and the most trades taking place. And that's going to be your your front months. Um, you know, and then for two, part of the market's job is going to be to ration demand, and that includes old crop demand, um, you know, plus encourage. So it's kind of twofold with the, the old crop being stronger is you want to try to ration some of that demand via price. Uh, but you also want to encourage or incentivize movement into the, the market structure. Um, so both of those things are happening, you know, and, and you'll probably continue to see the, the old crop market, you know, at least at this point say somewhat strong you know compared to to the new crop so outside of corn rolling over to soybeans Mm -hmm. uh, it is quite interesting to see how the forecast might sway some farmers away as we stay cool and and damp here in the midwest and other portions of the country but what what was the driving force behind the soybean rally today uh, we've seen this continuation and run up. So if you looked last week, we saw soybean oil, you know, kind of break out from the top side of its resistance. And we've seen some continued support in other vegetable oil markets from around the world, you know, losing the Ukraine and, and uh, the Ukrainian supply specifically. I mean, we thought that we were going to lose the, the Russian supply, but it looks like they'll continue to kind of do what they can, um, you know, with production and exports as they can. But to lose the Ukrainian supply has been a big hit. You know, we are already short oil seeds or vegetable oils, as it were, you know, with the, the reduction in the Brazilian crop and, and with the concerns over what's taking place with it, with Malaysian um, palm oil and, and production there. We did see a story where um, Cargill, I believe, was moving away from some of their Malaysian palm oil production because there was evidence of forced labor um, being used. And so that's been a concern. Like that's been one of the things that's been kind of boiling under the surface of the market for several years now is this worry over um, Malaysian palm oil and how we're harvesting, um, how we're harvesting it. And so now we're seeing, you know, some, some sort of struggle between, you know, what are we going to do to be content? and, 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 you know, conscious end users of a product, you know, and, and what are we going to do when it comes to reduction in supply? And so, you know, between that, um, you know, the overall strength in the global vegetable oil market combined with the idea that we could see this huge surge in um, domestic soybean oil demand via renewable diesel and other biodiesel projects, you know, we're really looking at, at soybean oil just heading to, to new all-time highs. And that's, of course, helping um, the soybean market and really kind of helping us to ignore, you know, what's taking place in China when it comes to indications of reduced demand due to COVID and some hog herd um, level concerns. And Angie, pretty much all grains across the board were up big today, including Minneapolis spring wheat, which put in some fresh contract highs just trading off of Russia, Ukraine or other things going on there at play. No, that's got 30 inches worth of reasons why it was up today. <laughs> and that's, you know, your heavy snowfall. Oh, and it's kind of one of those things where you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't in this sort of instance. Like we need the moisture and we need it really, really bad. Um, but we definitely could use it not in the form of temperatures and the teens and winds of 50 miles an hour and 30 inches of snow. You know, and so that's really where that's coming from is, is you know, your hard red wheat rallied big today because of continued dryness in the southern plains 
you know, Chicago wheat really kind of was the laggard. That was your Russian Ukraine strength, just because soft red wheat, you know, is sitting where the rainfall is, has been relatively plentiful and, and these other things. And then spring wheat is, of course, you know, holy cow, it's 30 inches of snow. They should be planting spring wheat currently. You know, what is this going to mean for production potential? You know, and, and we're off to the races yet again. So, Angie, I know there's a bulk of our listeners and a bulk of my customers that might be feeling a little bit oversold, over pre-sold this yeah. year. What, what have you been telling clients to either make them feel better about themselves or potentially put a strategy in for uh, maybe taking advantage of these run-ups now? Well, first, and, and this may sound simplified or this may sound like I'm being facetious, but I'm not. Um, the very first thing is to sit down and make sure you actually where you're at percentage wise sold. Um, because it's really super easy to be like, oh my gosh, I've made four incremental sales, uh, you know, two of which were low fives. And then the last one was the early sixes and we've rallied a dollar fifty cents and oh my gosh, I'm oversold, right? Because that's just something psychologically we do to ourselves. And then we sit down and we say, okay, well, put a pencil to paper, you know, what's a realistic production number based on your APH the last five years, what's your high high case scenario of good production, what's your low case? you know, what's in the middle or what is a conservative estimate and then take what you have sold and really kind of genuinely see where you're sitting um, from percentage standpoint. You know, if you're over half sold at this point, you want to maybe look at some additional, you know, outside of the, the box sort of approaches, some call spreads or something of that nature, work with someone who's a professional and, and able to assess what you want to spend and what you want to gain. Um, beyond that, if you're less than 50% sold, you're not oversold your 750 futures. Um, you know, yes, it's April 18th, but last year we topped out early, you know, in early May and the same can be said for this year. If we do see production, if, if we get to mother's day and we're, we're nearly half planted, which right now everyone thinks is impossible, but that's still three and a half weeks away. You know what I mean? That's still a, a lot can change, um, in, in two weeks time. And so if we get to mother's day and, and and we're, we're close to half or more, you know, the likelihood of us kind of teetering over the edge, especially if this thing continues higher, like I think it will, you know, for at least the next week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever, you know, incremental sales are really going to provide you the ability to get to where you're, you know, continuing to market at values that are going to be well over $2 um, above your break-even point, not to mention, you're now a dollar 60 over your crop insurance price. Um, and so a lot of folks are like, well, I have that safety net, you know, with my crop insurance price. It's like, yes, but the safety nets went from you jumping out of the second floor to now you're talking about the 40th floor. You know what I mean? You're a buck 60 difference. And so we need to start to have a, a realistic conversation about where you're actually at, recognizing whether you're truly oversold, i.e., you know, you have three quarters of your crop and you haven't even planted a seed, you know, they, they, that's a different situation than, well, I sold, you know, a little bit and it's lower than where I am now. And so I've lost money. You know, we, we need to just make sure we have a realistic conver conversation with ourselves about where we're actually sitting. Absolutely. And Angie, if folks want to have a conversation with you about where they're sitting, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, of course, at Goddess of Grain, or you can go ahead and shoot me an email at Angie at ConsusROI.com. Uh, Fantastic. Angie, thanks so much for coming on and chatting markets today. Certainly appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
Well, again, a big thank you there to Angie for joining us to chat markets today. Always a pleasure to have her, Tanner. It is. It sounds like that'll be a fun one to continue to stay in touch with as we have these Market Mondays. But uh, listeners, just find that professional in your area, one that you trust. Uh, If you feel like you're oversold, you may not. I appreciate Angie for giving us perspective just to double check our I's dotted and T's crossed, but uh, certainly very good information. Absolutely, Tanner. We're always bringing good information to the folks here at the Agnes Daily Podcast. So folks, do stay tuned with us. We've got a great lineup of interviews planned for the week. Find us also on social media at Agnes Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go. 